0: So, uh, before we get started and open on a word of prayer, let's kind of dialogue a little bit with one another here. So, um, let's talk about it. What are some observations, applications, implications, salutations, and hesitations that you had from the text uh, this morning? And if you just something that really struck you, maybe stuck out to you, maybe an application, maybe something that the Lord laid on your heart. We have one right here. Luke's coming to you. And uh, let's just talk about this together. What do you have?
1: What struck me from your message this morning is that um, Paul said it the best. He said, I was this, I was this, I was this, and now I am this because I've found Christ. Mm -hmm. There are so many things in our lives that we grew up in the church, as you mentioned for yourself, and as I did as well, we knew everything about the church. We knew their laws, their rules, their regulations. But... And it wasn't until later on when I grew up and even later on in my adult life that I finally was saved. Mm -hmm. I admit that throughout the years, I kind of stepped back a little bit from the church. But then God brought me back again because he has a plan for me. Amen. And so no matter what we do, no matter how many times we go to church, no matter how many groups that we belong to, no matter what we do in the church, no matter how many verses we read from the Bible... That will not save us until we ask God for his forgiveness and mm-hmm. we, become, we come to know God intimately. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got from your message.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. Steve, can we advance the slide just once more so people can read the text from the back? <laughs> that's tonight's text. Anyone else? Some things. We have Jack over here. Who's going to be after Jack? Anyone after Jack? Let's set this up. We have faith back there. Jack, you're up.
2: I thought it was interesting how strategic Paul was. Like he speaks Greek to the guards and then he switches to Aramaic and he starts with I am like you. I'm from this town. I'm going to build some common ground here and then go into his discourse of why he does what he does and all of that.
0: Amen. Yeah. Yeah. How we respond to people often is what opens up the door for further ministry. Yeah, I love how tender he was. He changed that. Faith. Who's after faith? Hold faith. Luke's after faith. Faith, what do you
1: have? Um, It goes along with a book I've been reading about the prodigal son and how that the older brother and the younger brother were in need of the father. And in this passage, it really just emphasizes that paul seemed on the outside to look like the perfect devout religious person but on the inside he wasn't and um although i pray for many people i know to have that damascus road experience i have to remember that i am in constant need of forgiveness too Mm
0: Amen. Yeah, I was talking to someone not too long ago, and they said, my life's a hot mess. And I said, well, our, all of our lives are a big, hot mess. Would you agree with that? All right, some of you are like, not I. <laughs> well, you're lucky. You're one of the fortunate ones. I saw another hand. It was a Luke. What do you got, my friend?
3: Yeah, I, I coming off of Jack's point about Paul being strategic, It's you're probably digging into this more, but um, how Paul is is arguing with God that he's got this. Uh-huh. But that's how human he is, and his strategy is still shallow compared to God's plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's an excellent point. We are, we are going to uh, pull that apart a little bit. Paul, what do you have?
4: Yeah, I was, I was thinking how s- the simplicity of the gospel.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no sim- uh, Luke was right behind you about yeah. to give you a mic, and then My you private mic. you said, oh, no. Oh, no, oh, you never let, let go. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, the simplicity, the simplicity of the gospel, you know, just we tend to make it a little too complicated or
4: we kind of go on rabbit trails or whatever and we share the gospel. but Really, those three points are just right on, just simple. Yeah. Get to those three and, and we're okay, you know. Yep. Uh, and I, I just really appreciate that. Thanks.
0: Well, and to tag on to that, what, what hit me is, yeah, how simple. I was just like you, but God radically changed life. If there, and then I always like reverse application. If I don't have a radically changed life, can I claim, but God? And if I can't claim that, I'm still just like you. Anyone else? Excellent point. Thank you, Paul. Anyone else? We have Tim over there, and we have Steve pulling over there. So as we listen to Tim, let's prepare our hearts for Steve,
2: and we'll uh, <laughs> <let> go, <laughs> Jesus, brother, what do you got, Tim? I, I was amazed that Paul didn't really know, He thought he was doing God's work mm-hmm. before Christ found him and stopped him. I thought that was just kind of amazing that uh, he really didn't know he was doing anything wrong. In in my head, that's, 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 why is this thing so hot? Anyways, in my uh, head... Wait, thinking, wait, did
0: we change subjects? Tim? Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh, okay, I was just like, well, <laughs>
2: this thing sounds really loud to me. Well, okay then. <laughs> no, but I was I was just amazed that Paul thought he was doing God's work. He really did, one hundred percent. Till Christ said, "Stop it, you're hurting me." And hold on to that, Mike. Do
0: you think that that application or principle well uniquely different in first century Jerusalem? Do you think that that translates um, rather well into the church as well? Do we ever feel? as though we are being
2: zealous for God when we actually
0: are working against him.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, uh, in my opinion, Paul kind of grew up in the church like we did.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. how I look at it. Yeah. yeah. And what specifically, Tim, have you done in your— No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I, I won't do that to you. <laughs> Mr. Poling,
4: over there. Yeah, when you were describing uh, Paul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin and all this other good stuff— uh, as he was heading on his Damascus Road experience, um, I was reminded by a quote by either—I uh, don't know whether it's Mark Twain or if it's uh, Will Rogers. He says, "It's not what we don't know that hurts us; it's what we think we know that is not so."
0: Yeah.
4: And that was the first—that was the first thought that came to mind, and that was basically the problem, the deadly problem that sent the thing that sent the Pharisees to hell mm-hmm. was what they thought they knew, that God knew better.
0: Yeah, Um, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. uh, The second
4: second thing is, uh, on this, our moral standard, this is what I wrote down, so I'm going to just reread it. Uh, Our moral standard is not based on the fallen world we see about us or the fallen conscience within our hearts, but on the eternal standard of the character of God. Uh, The good people and good culture that that are approximating God's character nevertheless, fall short of the target that we are to aim for. Amen. So if we think we got it right, probably approximately right, Yeah. but we're still wrong. Yeah. I'm, you learned that from me this morning? Put it together.
0: <laughs> yeah, I heard a similar quote, Steve, and maybe it's the same one and I just heard it differently, um, was, it's not what we don't know that is dangerous it's what we do know but don't do so i don't know if it's the same quote and i just heard it at a you know i, went, I didn't go to oxford i went i've to googled that
4: quote and i've come up with similar a, 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 things. different versions yeah. from and that's why i didn't know whether it was mark twain or will yeah. rogers that said it it was joel and I'll bet steve. you every preacher of his of any salt has repeated it ever since yep
0: yep very good thank you steve anyone else Things that stood up, uh, we have Don over here, and who's after Don? I'm not trying to get us to about 45, and then I, I won't speak at all, and we'll just teach each other. So, you know, one, yeah. one
4: of the things that amazes me <clears throat> is Paul's dramatic change on the Damascus Road. Yeah. We all recognize that. We say he just turned 180 degrees. However, in the divine providence of God, every part of Paul's resume became valuable to him. Every experience that he'd had up to that point, his teaching under Gamaliel and all of the things that he did became useful when he got on the right track and began spreading the gospel. God used even the things that were in his life before he got him. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Anyone else?
3: I, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have something here. Oh, <laughs> Hear <am> my <I>, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you saying the, the idea of our testimony isn't the gospel. Yeah. Because I, I've heard people say, I'm just going to share my story. And nobody can argue with my story. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. But then someone else could say, you know what? An inspirational thing to me was Buddha or a tree mm-hmm. or whatever. And, and if you have that, you can't argue with my story mentality. You're right. But evangelism and the gospel is not my story it's part of it's, it's the main part of my story, and it's what needs to be in everyone's life. But that is that's truth. Yeah. It's, that's beyond anybody's story. It's it's God's truths, spoken to us, given to us in Jesus Christ, and and, and life changing. So it's not just we're throwing around good stories and who has the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the good thing. There, there, there's a gospel behind it all.
0: Yeah, yep. Our story without the gospel is. Is just a story. Yeah. Anyone else? Observations, thoughts, applications, frustrations, concerns? Anyone at all? Going once, going twice. All right. Let's advance that slide there. Now, for the purpose of our study, we're going to summarize this just a little bit and create some space for us. So we're going to be focusing on verses 10 through 21, and it's condensed just a little bit for us tonight. The first thing I want to start off with is kind of where we ended um, this morning, and that is the God part, that God intervened into my highly moral life. Uh, Part of Paul's testimony when he says this, get up and go to Damascus and there you will be told. Now, depending on your translation, it will be appointed unto you that um, it will be appointed about everything that has been appointed to you. Now, in the NASB, it says, you'll be told everything that has been appointed to you. Now, there's two words that I really would like to highlight here. And the first one is, you will be told. That word told there is actually, in the original language, a military word. It's, yes, sir. It's, I see you. It's, you know, where you, where you tell me to go? That Those are my orders. It is a military word that means to give orders in a command, They are non-negotiable. The second word that we see there is the word appointed for you. Now the word appointed here actually has a a physical imagery that comes with it. It literally means to shove or push into one's hands. How many here have ever just been given something that you didn't necessarily ask for and they they just do this right here? And it's put into your hands, and you're like, what is this? And you realize you're playing rugby, and you're about to get destroyed. You guys following that sports metaphor? I'm very athletic, so I like to do that. Um, So now, with this word you are told, military command, and how many know what that picture is? Who here is nerd enough to know what that picture is? It's a command prompt. Commanded to do it. When you add those words up, told and appointed together, Paul is told by the Lord himself that I will command your life and destiny. I will order it and I will place it into your hands. Really, whether you are fond of it or not, and we're going to find out in a moment, he isn't necessarily fond of it. He actually has a better idea I'll stay in Jerusalem. God says, no, I am telling you and I am putting it in your hands. This is what I want us to see here. First thing here, these instructions do not leave a great deal of room for free choice. This does not leave a great deal of room for free choice. God has determined how Paul will serve him. And I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of truth spills into our lives as well. Notice God's decision for Paul was not what Paul initially wanted to do. All right, Paul had other ideas. We see this in words uh, beginning in verse 17. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem. Everything in the arm here. Orange here. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem. I was pay, playing in the temple. I saw Jesus uh, saying to me, Hurry, get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony here. Paul says, You know what? I have an argument for you, Lord. They themselves know and understand in the synagogue after another that I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. I also standing nearby, approving and watching over the cloaks of those who were killing Stephen. Now, it's kind of a summary of what, of what uh, Paul was saying, but Paul is arguing with the Lord here. How many here have ever argued with the Lord? Be honest. I have. I have. That he would be the most effective witness in Jerusalem. These people know me. They know where I'm from. Who, who better in all the planet to share the transforming uh, message of the gospel than someone who they have literally seen being transformed? I'm most effective witness for the Jews because I was one of them and I have a radical transformation for Christ. Would be excellent witness for these Hebrew Jews. Let me say this here. But God overruled Paul. He commanded Paul and his desires and put into his hands the word nope, go. I have a plan and it's my plan. I love the simplicity of God's answer here go. Just go. I have made it kind of a desire in my heart to keep things simple as well. He is not negotiating with Paul's agenda here. He goes, go, I will send you away to the Gentiles. Here's what I want us to see right here. We are saved for God's purpose, not our own agendas. Oh, that'll preach within the church. We are saved for God's purposes, not our own agenda. Allow that to kind of settle in and be applied to our lives right where we sit, right where we work, right where we live, the relationships that we have. Do we ever want to use God to achieve our agendas, whether they be in church, work, or home? Or are we willing to abandon our agenda in order to be used by God? But the truth is, not all of us are going to be called to traditional missionary work. That's just the truth, all right? To a far off place. However, every one of us should ask here, how does God want me to bear witness to Jesus Christ and how his gospel saves? How does God want to use me? This is a non-negotiable. Every single one of us in this room are commanded and it is placed into our hands to live out the doctrine of, of the gospel and to share the message of the gospel whether that be in a far-off land like like thomas and um uh, india thomas and dana all right or 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 our pastor layer in poland or every other place on the planet or or corleen lang and others it may not be in a far-off place But it may just be at the speedway when you strike up a conversation with someone who's pumping gas right next to you. By the way, my favorite place to start conversations. They can't go anywhere, all right? (laughs) Or a guest in your home. We have a command, share. All right, how the gospel. Now, I want to stop for a moment because fit in between these lines is, is plain as day but not necessarily seen. I want to stop for a moment and talk about what it means to live out the doctrine of the gospel. Because I don't know about you, but I was raised almost my whole life in a highly moral and cultural, uh, Christian cultural area where I could answer all of the questions around the gospel, but no one ever taught me how to live the doctrine of the gospel. And by living the doctrine of the gospel, I'm not talking about, you know, not, uh, we have children in here. (laughs) Remember those things I don't Drink and I don't chew and I don't go to the movie theater? Is that how it went? I don't remember. We don't yes, we don't associate with those that do. That's not what we're talking about. We don't even associate people who associate with people who do. Those yeah, Barbara, right now is not the time to interject or <laughs> or talk. That was earlier. Yes, we get that second and third degree separation, don't we? Yes, not only do we not do those, as Romans says, we don't even prove of those who prove of those who prove of those who don't do. It's going to be hard to reach people that way, folks, by the way. Grandpa, you bring up a great point. I heard this all the time, but what does it mean to live out the doctrine of the gospel? We all know what it means to share the gospel. That's the summary of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, you know the rest, that whosoever shall believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. I wish that we would present a gospel that goes further than hell insurance, but actually goes into the sanctification of who we are right now because we love him with all of our hearts. But how in the world do we live the gospel? I'm going to share with you a story that happened a few months ago. Happened a few months ago. And by the way, it happens a lot. So if you say, hey, I think he's talking about me. Maybe I am. I don't remember. It's not on purpose. But I've had these conversations many, many, many times. And... I'm going to be honest with you, I have these conversations in the mirror just about every day when I want to exercise my rights on people, all right? And I have to talk the gospel into my own life. A while ago, a person came up to me and gave the old season threat. My favorite. I love this one. Barbara, you already know where this is going. I would appreciate it if you'd keep quiet, all right? (laughs) Can you tell we work together? They came up to me and said, this may or may not be a reason we leave the church. Oh, that just settles my, oh, I just want to go, you want to know what, if this is the reason why you're going to leave the church, just go ahead and leave because you've already left, all right? It's, if this is the issue and you're already threatening, we're really not going to have a lot of ground to go forward here. But this may or may not be a reason why I'm going to leave the church, but I didn't appreciate that you didn't hold the line on this particular issue. And we, have, we had a good talk, again, a couple months ago. And at the end, I said, may I have permission to share some thoughts with you? As a pastor, I want you to know not very many people ask permission if they can share their thoughts with me. Are you following? Are you following that? But low be the tide if I have some thoughts. So I always ask for permission. May I, may I have permission to speak into this? And more times than not, people are very generous and gracious and say, of course you can. And uh, he graciously said, yes. And I said, this is not the first time that you have threatened to leave the church. This is like the second or third time that you have threatened to leave the church and relationships, leave covenant fellowship, if I didn't see or follow the issue the way you wanted. May I ask you a question? How is that living out the doctrine of the gospel? Allow me to unpack that for a moment. I said, does Jesus do this with you? Does Jesus threaten to break relationship with you? Does Jesus threaten to leave and forsake you? Does Jesus say, I'm going to break fellowship and leave covenant relationship with you if you don't meet my expectations to my satisfaction? Does Jesus ever do that? What's the answer, folks? No, of course not. I said, then why do you threaten to do what Jesus would never do to you? Why are you threatening what Jesus would never do to you? And I said, what does Jesus do when you don't meet his expectations? And this person accurately, we had a good dialogue. Of course, he had me in a chokehold, but we were, no, we had a, a good talk. And he accurately said, he never leaves me and he never forsakes me. He keeps and chases fellowship with me even when I fail. I said, then why not do that? Why not do that? Why not live out the doctrine of the gospel you say you believe? Live out in your life what Jesus does for you. My friends that 's what it means to live out the doctrine of the Gospel. All of us know the tenets of the Gospel. God sent His only Son. We sing songs about it an ever ending. Oh, wouldn 't it be great to have some songs about how the doctrine is applied in our lives? Live out in your life what Jesus does for you. That is what it means to live out the doctrine of the gospel. I'm going to wrap it into the text here. Every time you find yourself in unwanted circumstances, ask yourself this one simple question. How does Jesus respond in his relationship to me? How does Jesus respond in his relationship with me? Then go do that with the person in front of you. How can we claim to defend a gospel when our conduct and our behavior is contrary to the gospel. This is so important to sharing the gospel. Keith Miller, in his book called Habitation of Dragons, how many here have ever heard of that book? Not Dungeons and Dragons, all right? Habitation of the Dragon. He says this. He echoes this point very well. He says, There is only one universally effective way to present the gospel to people, and that is to expose them to a person in whom they can identify with. I was once like you, but God, my life has radically changed. A person who is finding hope and meaning in Christ in his or her own life. How can the gospel be given in a worthy manner if the gospel is not shaping the way we interact with people? Imagine if we approach one another when we disagree with one another. We have different discernible positions with one another. And I walk up to Jason, who, by the way, him and I have very many, a lot of differences. All right? All right? He doesn't love the Lord, I do. No. <laughs> No, we have different sports teams, and, and and I I and and not just Jason but other people as well. But what if we walked up to each other and said, I just want to start out, I will never break fellowship with you. I will never leave you over this kind of an issue. And I want to talk to you and I want to find common ground and I want restoration to live out the gospel. By the way, this is not a rabbit trail. It's what Paul's doing right here. They just tried to beat the snot out of him and what does he call them? brothers brothers and fathers and he doesn't stop loving them even though they failed him and he has broken ribs right now now i promised i would touch on this this morning so let me stop there are you living out the doctrine of the gospel in your relationships in the church outside the church how does Christ treat me when I fail? Then go do that to them. Now, by the way, that doesn't eliminate consequences. Sometimes people will come up to me and go, I have been forgiven and God and the gospel. And, I go, and, and they want to use that as a way to manipulate them back into a situation they should not be in. And I say, you know what? You are forgiven and I love you. You will never be in this area again. There's such thing as consequences for the purpose of health. All right? Now, I promised I would touch on this this morning. He says this, now why do you delay? Yeah, it's up there in the I think it oh, in the blue. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. So let's take a moment and do a quick study on baptism as it relates to these verses here, all right? Because there's a lot of muddied water that comes here. We'll do this quickly, all right? You got the hiccups. Many of those uh, who believe in the false teaching of baptismal regeneration. Now, what does baptismal regeneration mean? It's in the name, all right? It's in the name. That sounds like a commercial. It's in the game. Oh, that's mad in football. That's completely different, all right? It's in the name. It's where you believe baptism is included as a means of salvation. And I want to just go out there and say this is an inconsistent false teaching from the Word of God, all right? To teach that baptism is part of our means to be saved. And by the way, this is not a rare view. With love, but without apology, Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, Lutheran, Anglican, and even some Protestant churches will promote such a view of baptism. And there are several issues with such a view. So let's just start with the first of 40. Here we go. I'm joking. I think three or four. By including baptism in salvation, we are teaching that faith alone does not save. We are teaching that faith alone does not save. That there is something lacking in the work that Christ did on the cross. Yes, it was the blood. Yes, it was that he was God's only son, died and rose again, and, and faith. But it's plus. And whenever you add a plus, you're adding a lacking. It is solo faith by grace alone. That there is something lacking in the work of Christ. God forbid, what were the last words of Jesus on the cross? It is what? Plus baptism. No. No. Secondly here, I want to bring this up. Baptism is a work and we are not saved by works. Rather, I want you to grab this. True salvation produces good works. Paul, you did a study in the book of James. What is, what is faith without works? It's nothing. So good works, all right, um, we are not saved through good works, but true salvation produces good works. And by the way, one of those good works that it produces is baptism. It's it's an act of obedience, which is an act of obedience required of All Christians, but it does not save. Furthermore, if I could push this a little bit further, the view that baptism saves, baptismal regeneration, is not consistent with the rest of teaching of God's word. And by the way, this is a heavy hitter point right here, that even Paul himself does not believe in baptismal regeneration. Paul himself does not believe in that. He he talks about it in Romans, but I'm going to unpack a little bit more. Okay. First, Paul did not think that Ananias was Ananias was instructing to be baptized as a means of salvation. Paul didn't even think that. We see this in Paul's own writing. I need you to gather that. All right. A lot of times we kind of see God's word as this giant moving word cloud, and it says something over here, and it says something over here, and which one is it? Paul is the one being told to be baptized here. Paul is the one who is being saved by God's gracious election, all right? And he is being given the gift of faith and the gift of salvation and the gift of repentance. It's Paul here. Don't miss this. The same Paul who has been knocked off his horse and is in Damascus is the same Paul that writes this very next verse. "...the word of faith which I am preaching, and the apostles are preaching, and the elders are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, heart stop, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth you confess, resulting in salvation." Paul understands that baptism is not a means of salvation. He says it right there. If he did, boy, he just gave a false proclamation of the gospel. On top of that, it's important to see Ananias' words clearly. He connects the washing of sins away with the calling on Jesus' name. It's right there in the text. Not baptism. Wash your sins away by the calling on his name in faith. Wash away your sins. Such a declaration of faith points back to what washes sins away with the cleansing that is symbolized with baptism. We find that in Romans chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, 16, Romans 10. We could keep on going, and I want you to notice all these verses because they have a point, because I'm about to call all of you pigs. How many here followed that train of logic? I want you to see all of these verses in orange up there. And you'll understand why I say I'm going to call you all pigs in a moment, and why it applies here. I want you to know this, these verses because it is it is with them that I want to give you a quick lesson on what we're going to call biblical hermeneutics, how to translate ancient texts. All right? How many here are excited about that? How many here said, you know what? We were in church, and we did Homiletics 101. You should have been there. How many here feel the energy right now? Okay. No one. Perfect. Lesson one. What's that? Did you say, yeah? Well, You're excited about that? All right. Thank you for talking soft enough to where I don't know what you're saying. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just I know what you're saying. Here's lesson one. When a single verse teaches on a subject, such as this verse here, That verse must be interpreted by the predominant teaching of Scripture. That verse must be interpreted by the predominant teaching of Scripture. In other words, when you study the Word of God, or really any ancient literature for that matter, and you can even apply homiletics into a more contemporary structure as well. However, specifically here, when you study the Word of God, a student must harmonize single verses with the principal collective teaching of Scripture. For example... Let me give you a little example. If you have 25 verses saying A, saying faith alone, and one verse that says Q, baptism, Q must be interpreted by the 25 A's. Are you following me at all? Let me throw this into an example here. All right? For example, imagine if I know I'm going to die tomorrow and I write every single one of you. a letter. And in that letter, Ben opens up his letter. And in that letter, as I I write to him, and, and you guys can answer this, Ben can answer this, but all of you can answer this. You open up your letter, and in that letter, I call you a pig. You are the biggest pig I have ever known what is the first emotion that comes to your mind talk to me ben you can go first but anyone else as well you can go last and people can go before him i don't know what i'm saying what is an emotion that comes to you if i call you pig in a letter talk to me it's not a hard question folks okay good lord this is not this is not a hard question how would you feel if i called you a pig you'd feel hurt all right i got hurt i heard shocked what else Really certain I'm dying tomorrow, yes. I heard some noise over here. Okay, I didn't, all right. This guy has lost his mind. Laura. Laura, that's probably the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, that that would be out of character for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Here's one. Brett's a jerk. Now imagine you got up and you started, everyone started sharing their letters. You share your letters with another and you find that in every letter to everyone else, I also call them pigs. I also call everyone pigs. And in several of those letters, I actually explain that pig is an acronym that means pretty intelligent guy or girl. You are, Ben, one of the most intelligent guys I know. And that's how it's interpreted in everyone else's letter. I failed to mention it in yours. Now what does, and Jen will come to you, what does that do to your interpretation of pig now that you know I mean that means you are a pretty intelligent girl? You feel better. Because when Q sits there and 25 A's are there, you interpret the Q with all the A's. You have a better understanding of what I meant. In looking at the predominant way I use the word peg, you understand what I mean when I wrote it to you. And I want to say this in love. I truly believe all of you are pigs, by that definition. To assert that Luke is saying baptism is a part of salvation, then dozens of other verses that state otherwise must be ignored. They must be wiped out. If you would, you would have to throw away all the other letters to everyone else in this room in order to take offense to the one that was given to you. Here's the rub. Quite often, Scripture, and Luke does it here, closely associates the act of baptism with what it symbolizes. The act of baptism with what it symbolizes. And we go to all the other Scriptures to unpack that baptismal suitcase. Baptism is an act of obedience that follows salvation, that picture what God has already done in our heart through faith. So it is with all of this being said, it is with all of this being said, that we're going to allow just the pure passage speak to us now that we have pulled many ideas and thoughts out of it. And we're only going to do 21 verses here. And it's my goal just, just, I don't know if you need to close your eyes and not be distracted. Whenever someone talks to me and I need to think, I just start closing my eyes. Because I get distracted easy. I'm going to read this and just allow what we've studied to fill in between. Brothers and fathers, how tender is that? He has broken ribs. He's been insulted and almost tried to be beaten to death. Rescued by Rome. Is there any greater irony? Yet what is his response? Tender love. How we respond to unwanted circumstances is what opens to door the door to further ministry. Brothers and fathers, hear my apologia, my apologetic, my defense, which I offer you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic rather than Greek, boy, Paul has been given a command, hasn't he? They listen, they become more quiet. There again, hundreds of Roman soldiers back that up. I am a Jew born of Tarshish of Cilicia. Those are my credentials. Because of these credentials and the fact that I was educated under the most respected rabbi, strictly according to the law of our fathers, notice the inclusiveness, I was once like you, being zealous for God just as you think you are, I persecuted this way to death. Blinding and putting both, uh, binding and putting both men and women into prison. This is how full of hate he was, yet calling it passion for God. As the high priest can tell you, I'm farther along the way than you've ever been. In fact, the council of elders can tell you this. From them, I received letters, I bet you haven't gotten those, to the brothers and started off to Damascus in order to bring even those who were, were uh, there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And I did nothing to draw God in. I did nothing to draw God in. He put me on my rear. He came to me. He saved me. I was a dead man, verse 6. And it happened that I was on my way, approaching Damascus at about new. A very bright light suddenly flashed in heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because there is no light of day between how we value the church and we value Christ. There is no such thing as saying yes to Christ and no to his bride. It is yes to both or no to both. And I answered, who are you, Lord? That's what we want to start our day with. And he said to me, I am Jesus of the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice and was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? That's the second thing we want to ask the Lord every day. And the Lord said, Get up and go to Damascus, and there I will give you an order. You will be told about everything that has been appointed to you, and I will shove it in your hands. Because I am God, and you are the servant. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I came to Damascus being led by hands of those who were with me. And a certain man named Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well-spoken by the Jews who lived here, verified this. Standing near my brother, Saul received your sight. In that very moment I looked up and he said, Go to your fathers, appointed you now. I'm sorry, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and see the righteous one and hear the message from his mouth for you will be a witness to him to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? You're going to be a public testimony, so why delay? Publicly confess through baptism because the idea of a purposely unbaptized follower of God is utterly inconsistent with the teaching of the New Testament. It did not exist. Better question, why does it exist today? And wash your sins away by calling on his name. Your sins are washed away by calling on his name and baptism reflects that. And it happened as I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple and who is Paul praying for or, and, and has on his mind his fellow brothers and sisters, his brothers and fathers, verse 1. And I fell into a trance and I saw Jesus saying to me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I've I got to disagree with you, Lord. I have some really great plans here. They understand that in every synagogue, one after another, I imprisoned those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen witness was standing nearby and I was approving it and I watched over his cloaks, those who were killing him, I am the best one to do this here, Lord. And the Lord said, it is my plan, not your agenda. Go. And I will send you far away to Gentiles. And we have a beautiful high picture I was once like you, but God, and my life is radically changed. Do you have the same testimony? I was once like a highly religious West Michigan culture, but God radically transformed me out of a highly moral culture to have a love for him. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these people. I ask that you would bless your word. I ask that it would not die in our heads, but renew our minds and our hearts. I pray this and ask this through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, alone by which there is none other. I pray in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You are dismissed to have fellowship with one another. And please include the Lions in your prayer tonight. Did the Seahawks win? Okay, thank you for that response and your help. You are dismissed.